You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm Craig and I'm joined this evening by Chris. Hello, Chris. Hello, Craig. How are you doing? Hello, I'm really good. We've got a special guest this week. We've got ESPN commentator Derek Ray. Hello, Derek. Hello, Craig. Hello, Chris. Great to be with you guys. All right. Nice one, Derek. Good to have you on the podcast. Well, I look forward to chit-chatting about all the topical issues of the weekend. I know you two do that on a regular basis, so this is something new for me at the beginning of the work week. Uh, it's, a, it's a good night to do it. We're doing it on a Monday evening. It's good to catch up over the, the football over the weekend, especially this weekend. It's been pretty busy. There's been quite a few things happening. So in this week's podcast, we'll do a, our usual SPL review from Chris. I'm sure that'll lead on to things like goal line technology. We'll discuss the Champions League, or we'll touch on the Champions League between Celtic and Juventus. We'll have an SFL section from myself. The charity bet, we've got the League Cup final coming up next weekend, and we'll make our SPL predictions. So I'd like to start with the Champions League, rewinding back to the middle of next week, last week, and it was Celtic against Juventus, and Celtic went out 5-0 on aggregate, and it was 2-0 on the night in the, was it the Juventus Stadium it's called now? It's, that is indeed, yeah. It's not the Del Alpe, but it's on the same site, as far as I, I heard. So, yeah. yeah, it looks a good stadium. I wish it went. <laughs> I think the one thing about that arena is that the fans are very close to the play. I was at the old Del Alpe for the World Cup back in 1990. It tells you how old I am. Um, and uh, the one thing that uh, people criticised back then was the fact that, as a fan, you were very remote from the field of play. But this Juventus arena is top-notch, and significantly for Italian football, it's owned by the club in question, Juventus, uh, and you don't see that terribly often. Mm-hmm. Do they still share the stadium? No, it, it's, it's their own ground, and uh, there are plans for a new Torino ground. They want to get their own ground as well. Um, but it's uh, it, it's got a feel almost of a British stadium, uh, and I think it's because the fans are right on top of you. And they put a lot of work into the, the pre-match choreography and the, the playing of the Juventus anthem, uh, and it's all designed to try to, I think, create a more up tempo brand of football and they've succeeded over the last two seasons under Antonio Conte and I do think that the ground is a big part of their success story Yeah, yeah, well it looks good on the TV anyway and uh, well Chris you mentioned you you wish you were there but I don't think I'll be there as a Rangers fan anytime soon (laughs) I never know what the future holds (laughs) Well uh, we've got this band to sort out first but even then it's going to be quite a few years before we get to that level Anyway, back to the Celtic game I thought that well, 2-0 was the scoreline on the night, as I said, 5-0 overall, and I'm not sure if it was Commons or Mulgrew said that it was never a, a 5-0 game, really, not. and I well, always mock people that say that, mock players that say that, but I think in this instance, it wasn't a 5-0 game, it was, I thought Celtic came very close, they'd done well in the first leg, and the second leg, if, if Hooper had scored that chance when Samaras knocked it across the face of goal, I think the game could have been very different. Not sure they would have progressed, but I thought that they could have at least scored that goal and maybe went on to, to get something from that leg. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the 5-0 properly tells the whole story. I think it's more of a gulf between the experience than it is between the, the, the abilities of the players. Because I, th- I think Juventus just looked more uh, European-wise, uh, if, if that's really a term. 
because it was one of those cases of they, they played to their strengths, they, they took their chances when they came, they pounced on any mistakes Celtic made and didn't really make any of their own. So at that level, that's gonna that's what's going to happen. Yeah, especially when you've got a player like Pirlo, who just, he's so effortless. He, he doesn't break a sweat at all. Even even when he's stuck in defence and he's got the ball, he just casually makes a pass that somebody in Scottish football wouldn't do, for example. He'd hoof it away and... Yeah, it's just a, a joy to watch, really. And the yeah. amazing thing about Pirlo, really, is that uh, a couple of years ago, many in Italian football were writing him off, saying that he was no longer going to be the force, that uh, at AC Milan, latterly, he was slowing the team down. Uh, and they wanted uh, you know, to have a, a dynamic presence in midfield, and they felt that uh, Pirlo was surplus to requirements. Uh, he, he really has a fascinating story, because I don't know if you know, early in his career, Pirlo was used as a player in the hall. He was, he was used off the front too. Right. And it was Carlo Mazzoni, one of his coaches, uh, you know, going back 12, 13, 14 years now, uh, who came up with his idea that Pirlo ought to be like an old-fashioned playmaker, sitting deep, uh, you know, the, the Pirlo that we know now. And, uh, you know, but for Mazzoni, uh, we might not be talking in, in such glowing terms about Pirlo, and he might not have made the impact he has on the world stage. Yeah, he's definitely a joy to watch, as I said. But yeah, so that's it. Celtic, I suppose it's got to be a positive, this campaign, Chris. You've got to be happy with that, getting to the last 16. Nobody expected that at all. Definitely. Now, the aim for me, for Celtic this season, was to make the group stages. So to not only make the group stages, but qualify for them and get to the last 16 was was overachieving. I think this season, I think we've, we've done absolutely brilliant. And the, the memories are going to be the Barcelona games, but uh, I think even the, the Juventus games have shown us what we're capable of, if maybe what we've still got to learn as well. Yeah, I think the standout moment for me wasn't, wasn't just beating Barcelona, but it was when Tony Watt scored. Yeah. To see a young Scottish lad like that come on and have the guts to do what he did with so much pressure when you're through on goal like that. I, I would yeah. have I think it just goes to show that it's almost, it needed to be the young boy rather than an older head because the young boys just tend to be a bit more cocky and sure of himself and never really scared of the big boys. And he took his chance well. Maybe was unlucky not to get another chance a few minutes later when it appeared to be filled by Mascherano. So. And I just, that just, uh, Carry some on from the, the the next gen series he played in the previous season, where he scored against Barcelona and that as well, a home and away, I believe. That uh, interview at the end of the game when he was just grinning, he could hardly speak. He was grinning that much. Yeah, it, it, it was uh, a few days later when he said that uh, it, it never really sank in properly until he caught up with his parents. <laughs> yeah, aye, it was good. It's good anyway. Right, you want to move on to the the SPL, Chris? We've got quite a few games because we had a couple last week and I know Dundee didn't play twice which the BBC were saying at some point <laughs> yeah scheduled for Tuesday and Wednesday yeah yeah. well we'll, we'll, we'll start off on Tuesday then when uh, Celtic were uh, playing Juventus I believe on the Wednesday but before that we had Hearts uh, hosting St Johnson and John Sutton had the ball on the net early but was ruled out for offside they did open the score just after a half hour through Ryan Stevenson as he pounced a rebound from Michael and Goo's original shot the game swung between both teams as Hearts looked to extend their lead and Saints pushed for equaliser. And it was finally settled when Goose set up John Sutton to tap all a second at the end of Hearts' dismal run of five straight event, five straight defeats ahead of Wednesday weekend's derby. Uh, the win also moved Hearts back ahead of St Murren, who travelled to Dens Park the following evening. And indeed, St Murren took the lead in that game against Dundee midway through the first half through Dougie Emery. 
Sam Douglas was able to keep Dundee in the match with a few saves, while Dundee struggled to even threaten at the other end of the first half. But John Brown made a couple of half-time substitutions, and that seemed to spur the team on. The first one of those subs, Nicky Riley, forced a save from Craig Samson, before minutes later, John Baird levelled the game. And those came midway through the second half, and with 12 minutes remaining, Jim McAllister fired in the winner to give Dundee just a glimmer of hope in the relegation fight, closing the gap to their opponents to 14 points. It's a long way to go, but it's a start. <laughs> that kind of closing the gap, yeah. Well, it's the worst 17, so... <laughs> Technically, yeah. It's always a chance. Never know. Never. Over till it's over. So moving on to Saturday's games, and we'll start at Pataudry, where uh, sadly not a lot happened. Aberdeen were dominant, but failed to find a cutting edge. In fact, BBC gave it 13 shots, but only one on target. Nicky Law nearly even nicked it to the death, but Jamie Langfield ensured Aberdeen still got something, although there was a late penalty claim for Zane Francis Angle, as he looked to have been brought down by John- Joe Shaughnessy. But uh, nothing given in that, unfortunately, for Mullable. So Aberdeen's still in the hunt for a top six place, but it's looking increasingly likely that it's going for the fiercely competed for final spot as they're now six behind fifth place. So with Mullable also dropping points, could either of the Highland sides close the gap? So first off, we had Inverness visiting Dens Park. And of course, Dundee have their own goal in mind trying to get back into the, the relegation fight. And they took the lead in the first quarter of an hour through a John Baird 20-yard effort. Inverness hit back as he watched a corner cleared off the line as well as Andrew Shinney having his effort come back off the bar but that wasn't the hardest hit of the game as Terry Butcher punched a hole in the plexiglass dugout <laughs> John Baird had a chance to make it 2-0 before half time but Ryan Essen prevented that and that proved crucial as the second half saw Inverness have plenty to play and eventually got an 83rd minute equaliser through Billy McKay as he finished off an Andrew Shinney cross to share the points so nothing doing for Inverness. What about up in Dingwall, where Celtic were the visitors after the, the European exit to Juventus? And it was looking good for Celtic in the first 20 minutes as first Charlie Mulgrew managed to score directly from a corner kick before Gary Hooper doubled the visitors' lead by chipping the ball over goalkeeper Mark, Michael Fraser, who won't want to watch this game back again. The only one-way traffic seemed to stop when the Celtic failed to clear the lines after an Ian Vigers free kick and the ball eventually fell to Grant Monroe, whose cracking finish was well beyond Fraser Foster, who had no chance. County then levelled the match before half-time as some poor Celtic defending allowed Sam Morrow to finish at the back post. Anthony Stokes then clipped the base of the post just before the end of the first half, while Kovacevic somehow kept an early second-half chance out from Gary Hooper. And then there was more calamity for Celtic. County had two terrific chances to take the lead. First Martin Scott pouncing on a poor Ambrose pass-back, but he never quite got the end of it properly. And then Will Farth knocked an effort just wide of the post, but did make it third-time lucky as an injury time, Will Farth benefited from the hesitancy between Kelvin Wilson and Fraser Foster and nod the ball in the net and take all three points and move up to three points behind second place Motherwell. And that's what dropping just six points in the last 33 will get you. Uh, so what about the battle for the top six? So Kilmarnock visited Perth with the visitors looking for a win that might move them into the top six. Well, St Johnson looked to try and secure their place in there. A goalless first half was ended on our mark as Murray Davidson fired home from the close range after Kilmarnock failed to clear a corner. But five minutes to group go, Gregory Taddy made it 2-0 thanks to a fine cross from William Craig and that moves St Johnson within three points of Motherwell and perhaps more crucially, five clear of Dundee United. And it's five because it was a bit of a damp squib in Paisley, sadly. The League Cup finalists at Murren hosted Scottish Cup semi-finalists Dundee United and the two teams pretty much had some poor shots over Barnes to the keeper. The only talking point, a John Rankin lunge with two feet that got him a straight red card. And despite the defendant being in sports scene last night and ho- uh, hoping for an appeal, Dundee United have to take confirmed that they won't be doing that. And to be honest, I think they might have been just about right. And finally on Sunday, it was uh, the fourth Edinburgh derby of the season. 
And Hibs knew that if they could win, they'd consign Hearts to the bottom six for the season. Well, even a draw, we would leave that all but impossible for Hearts to catch their city rivals, who are currently sixth. Sadly, the game yet again didn't live up to the building as both teams struggled to play anything resembling decent football, sadly. The only real talking point came from referee Ewan Norris as he awarded Hearts a penalty, as he didn't award Hearts a penalty for an Alan Mabry push on tapping, although the tumble did seem a bit uh, sideways, for, or a bit forward when the push was sideways. But of course, the major talking point from the game was when Lee Griffiths had a long-range effort off the crossbar that bounced a good couple of yards behind the line and came out, only for the linesman to award nothing but the corner kick for Andy Webster's clearance. So that's Hibs. A point ahead of Dundee in sixth. Well, Hearts look to the League Cup final with the top six all but gone. Uh, we'll talk about the the goal that wasn't. Yeah, I think that's a, a good starting point. But I think before we talk about the whether it was over the line or whatever, I think we've got to look at Griffiths taking on a 35-yard... Well, I suppose you could claim it was 40 yards. Maybe I'll, I'll say 35. 35 yards out, free kick. He's got the guts to step up and hit that and beat the keeper. So it, it was brilliant. Was fabulous free kick. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably been lost in all the talk of uh, the goal line technology. That's it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, as we've seen, we've seen the, the screenshots with... That the ball was definitely over the line, miles over the line. I'll say, uh, although I've seen a couple of screenshots that where the, the line has been painted around the ball, so it wasn't <laughs> over the line, and the the ball has been moved via Photoshop, so it wasn't over the line. But I think we all know it was over the line. So goal line technology. Then I think that brings us to that. Derek, what's your view on that goal line technology and and how, whatever guys that that is. Well, we hear that when it comes to Scottish football, uh, it's not something that can be afforded. Um, now, you can debate whether it's something that's crucial going forward. My own view is that we have the technology already. Uh, it's called live televised football. And everyone at home, I wasn't at the game. I didn't watch it myself yesterday. I was at Millwall watching a, a pretty turgid nil-nil draw there in the FA Cup, Millwall against Blackburn. But everyone who watched that at home uh, or who had a smartphone at the game will have seen um, how far over the line the ball was. Now, uh, I would submit that in this day and age, when the game is televised live, or even when it's not televised live, if there's a full outside broadcast there, uh, that it would be very easy for a referee to simply whistle the play dead under such circumstances, refer it to either the fourth official or a new replay official, and uh, a decision could be made that is correct and that helps the officials on the pitch. Uh, I'm not in favour of this, incidentally, for every single decision, for every single free kick or for uh, handball inside the box, but if you restrict it to the goal line, how many times does it happen in an average season? I can remember uh, once in the SPL this term in a Motherwell-Hibbs game that we did back in, uh, when was that, October, I think, um, and now it's happened in the Edinburgh Derby. So, uh, you know, do we want to say, well, this should only happen if we can do it across the board, or do we want to say, let's get it right if it's simple, uh, if it can be done quickly, uh, and I think that is the case by using TV footage. Yeah, I think that one of the arguments that you touched upon there was that uh, they talk about doing it across the board. Can we do this at the SPL? Can we do this at all levels? And, and the cost is prohibitive. I heard a figure, a six-figure, some mentioned, although I've not been able to see specifics on that. But I think there's already a, a difference between SPL and especially the, the lower leagues when you when you see that they've got the, the walkie-talkies, I'll call them, 
But you don't see that in junior football, you don't see that in, in Sunday league football, so there's already a bit of a difference. I know that's very minor, but this talk about that all levels have to be the same, I, I don't see it. I think that it's okay to have something in the SPL that isn't elsewhere. And I think it would be a good thing to have the the technology there. I don't know, I think I, I would disagree, Derek, about including the, the TV replay. I'm not really keen on the game stopping in a, in a cricket style and everybody watching a screen for a, a green light or, or whatever, because, well, how long would we need to wait? Well, the point is it wouldn't take a length, any length of time at all, uh, because, as I said, if the referee uh, whistles the play dead, and, mm-hmm. and immediately at that point, I know because I work in television, uh, the director and, and the VT operators will have that uh, almost immediately, within seconds, uh, and then somebody can make a judgment on it. And as, as I'm saying, I would restrict this just to the goal line. Mm-hmm. So this might happen two or three times per season. Are we saying that we can't stop the game two or three times per season to make sure that we get it right and to make sure that we avoid what happened yesterday? Well, when you put it like that, yeah, if if you are talking about two or three times a season, yep. Yeah. I, th- I think my counter-argument to that, though, would be that although the goal line is obviously an important line, the offside line is also an important line, and there's a number of occasions I've seen that given wrongly when TV evidence is showing that, that it might have been the right decision or it might have been the wrong decision. And they could use TV evidence for that as well. But as you say, where, where do you draw the line then? As well, to... well, what I'm saying, Chris, is, is restrict it to the goal line, do an experiment with it. I think the SPL uh, and Scottish football generally uh, should want to be trailblazers. They should want to be going out there and have attention focused on them, to have a light uh, on them so that uh, people around the world can say, oh yeah, they're trying this new thing in Scottish football. That might be quite interesting. Uh, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I, I wouldn't go as far as I said, I would not go anywhere near it with offside, I wouldn't go anywhere near it with anything else, just to the goal line, because the argument is apparently that we can't in Scottish football afford the technology. Uh, what I'm saying is we have the technology at many of the games. So, you know, let's use it. Let's not just say, well, no, we can't. We can't use it because of this, because of X, Y, Z. It is there. It can be used. Give it a trial. Yeah, I think that's a, an interesting insight that you've got, Derek, because well, when we watch it on at home, the replays are very quick. But do you get to see a replay before we see it on TV? Because often you have a, a very good idea of whether it did go over the line or, for example, if it was a foul. Do you get that before us? Um, sometimes. Um, it, it does depend. I mean, we have you know very good VT operators uh, you know, who are watching these things and, and know what they are watching. Uh, you know, so often, uh, you know, the match director will say uh, to the commentators, um, this is interesting, might well have been uh, over the line or looks as though it was over the line. Have a look, see what you see, what you, you think yourselves. And uh, we have a monitor um, in the middle. We have three monitors when we cover a game, uh, one each for the one for the commentator, one for the co-commentator. And then there's a middle one that enables the director to show us things uh, off the air, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. but, but in this case, but what, specifically with regard to the goal line, uh, remember at the moment, the play, because of the, the way that the, that the match occurs, the play continues after, um, after the fact. So if the referee says, no, it wasn't over the line, then the play continues. What I'm arguing for is a system whereby play can be whistled dead whereby a team has the power to say, no, we're gonna, we, we, we want to stop this now and have a look at this. Wouldn't happen very often, as, as we said, because how many times is it an issue? Yep. You know, not very often. So I, I think it's something that can be tried. If there's a will, uh, 
again, you know, if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have been uh, saying something similar to what Chris has just said. Uh, I, I would be saying, no, I, I think this is this is not the way to do it. Uh, I don't think we should get television involved. Um, but but my views have changed on this. And uh, I, I can actually pinpoint the day when it changed. And it was, you might remember, there was a Man United um, Spurs game a few years ago. Uh, Pedro Mendes from a long way out uh, tried his luck. And, uh, and and the officials got that one clearly wrong when the ball was was over the line. And yes, I remember um, that. Yeah. 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 And and since then, I thought to myself, this is so easy. This should be so easy to get right. There's something wrong when people watching all over the world can see that the officials have got it wrong. Uh, you know, let's help them. You know, let's help the officials get it right. And this is the simplest way of doing it, in my view. Yes, they're talking about introducing it in the English Premier League. They're saying that they're going to install. There's a couple of... Hawkeye was one of the companies that they're, they're potentially going to use. But, well, I mentioned a six-figure sum earlier and, well, the English Premier League's women in money, so perhaps they can afford it. Well, I can't yeah, see a club it. like... No disrespect to, to Ross County, but the, the level of gates that they get in each week, they, they can't justify spending that kind of money. But, yeah, Derek, as you say, you, if you've got the facilities there, in the SPL we've got... TV cameras for every game because we've got the highlights. Sometimes it is only one fixed camera, but I'm sure it'd be a lot cheaper to get another camera at each goal. Uh, there would be a cost involved. I mean, I think initially you, you would have to look at games that are covered with a proper outside broadcast. And, and at the moment, uh, you're talking really about games that are live on, on Sky and ESPN. Um, but again, I, I would have no problem with starting there and, and saying, you know, if we can get it right, let's try to get it right let's make that the goal and and i've not heard referees speaking out in favor of anything like that um i, I did hear a couple today um advocating having extra officials behind the goals such as what we have now in the champions league and the europa league but uh, i have to be honest I, I i've not seen them able to get it right on a few occasions as well with yes. i think one of the problems with those extra officials is they're instructed not to make any signals so uh, as a, a fan watching on the TV, like myself, I, I look at it and I wonder what they are doing. I can see what a linesman does. Mm. I can see what a referee does. But those extra officials, I just don't know. Are they telling the referee that, in this example, that the ball was over the line and the referees overruled them? I don't know. It's too difficult to tell. So, yeah, I'm not sure I'm a big fan of those. The other argument I've got in this particular instance is, was it, a particularly difficult decision to make because it's not as if it was only just over the line, it was well over the line. It was. Now, I, I mean, I've heard the, the arguments today from the likes of Stuart Dougal and Kenny Clark, who obviously did this job previously, um, and they were saying that the linesman's been set up to watch for offside at the in line with the wall. Uh, the referee's also watching the wall from pretty much the, the same distance as the free kick is. So neither of them are really in a position to tell. But having watched the replay of where the linesman was when the ball crossed the line, he'd already moved from the 18 yards and was effectively reaching that line that's 10 yards for the corner flag. So he's now 10 yards for the goal line and obviously still out at the touchline. And he's got an unobscured view of a ball that's maybe a yard, two yards over the line and still can't tell. And Kenny Clark's argument was he was running at full pelt and it's really hard to tell that. But I think, I honestly think that if, even then the linesman should be able to tell that's crossed the line. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yep. I suppose, I mean, yes. officials, make, officials are always going to make mistakes and, and I think we, we know that and it's the nature of the game. And uh, I, I think, you know, as, as a group... Um, those of us in the media are probably, you know, too uh, quick to 
uh, decry officials and to, to give them a hard time. Uh, you know, a player or a manager can make a mistake and we don't seem to dwell on that quite as much. Um, but I just think that, that we need to have a, an extra layer of protection for the officials yeah. uh, when it comes to the goal line. I, I think it's, it's, it's that important uh, and it's something that, uh, that is you know, pretty much black and white. Uh, offside is a grey area because there's interpretation involved. Uh, you know, the same with handball inside the box. With the goal line, it, it's pretty simple. Either it was over the line or it wasn't. Either it was a goal or it wasn't. Yeah, going back to uh, that uh, the incident you men- mentioned in the, the Man United game, I'm sure it was Robert Green, but anyway, the, the, the Roy, shot Roy, was hit. Wasn't it Roy Carroll in goal at the time? Roy Carroll, you're right, you're right. Uh, the shot was hit from so far out that the linesman was it was correctly placed and I can I can see why he got it wrong. I can I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't pick holes in, in what he did because he was so far away. So yeah. I, I, thought, I think Derek's hit the nail on the head with one thing. What we're saying here is that the the, the pundits and the, us fans, we can use the replays and we can use all this technology to hammer the referees. In the last 10, 20 years, it's, that job has become almost impossible at times because they don't get the same protection. So if we're able to use the television replays and all the, all the other technology we've got at our disposal to hammer them, they should be able to use it to protect themselves and make sure they get the right decisions right, which ultimately is what we want at the end of the day. Exactly. Yep. Agreed. Yep, so uh, well, I wanted to mention Rankin's red card. And I didn't watch sports scene. I normally watch my highlights on YouTube. So I've started getting back into that now and over the BBC. But yeah, I heard, Chris, you mentioned that he'd, he was on sports scene and he was saying he was going to appeal, but now Dundee United are saying no. Yeah, I found that quite odd, actually. He, he was quite adamant yesterday. He was hoping that it would be cleared on an appeal, and then Dundee United have come out today and said, we're not even going to appeal. It looked a pretty rash challenge to me. The way he went down, so. two-footed. Uh, I'm not so sure it was dangerous, but he went and... Uh, you don't go into a tackle like that and get away with it. I think going back to the Champions League coverage during the week and, and Roy Keane says if you give the referee the, the chance they to send you off, then it's your own fault. I thought that was a great point, but uh, I'm not sure many people would agree. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I think the whole country ganged up on, on Keane <laughs> that night. But yeah. I, I do think with regard to um, Rankin, you, you can see his point. You can see what he's arguing about, but... Um, I would have to say that in most countries in Europe, and uh, you know, this has been coming in more and more in England and in Scotland as well. Uh, I think the tackle he put in uh, was a red card challenge, you know, and I think that ten years ago it might not have been. Um, but I mean, any time you, you go in with both feet, uh, you, you are asking for trouble, and you're asking the referee to make a decision whether you like it or not, whether uh, that's your intention or not, and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think players just have to think about it more. You know, same with Nanny. Uh, we can we can debate whether it was a, a, a yellow card or a red card, or as I heard one referee say last week, an orange card. It was in that sort of yes. great area. Uh, <laughs> you know, but but players do have a responsibility uh, to be disciplined and and not to do something that uh, that could get them sent off. And and you know, in that area, I do understand where the, the much maligned Roy Keane was coming from. Yes, yeah. Oh, don't get me started, Derek. Or I'll, I'll get my real book out and I'll start quoting. <laughs> but yeah, with the letter of the law, yep, I've seen that as a red card. 
But yeah, aye, it was before, some... before we move on from the SPL, can I just ask Derek, have you ever seen anybody score from a corner? <laughs> uh, have I seen anyone score from a corner? Um, yes, uh, many years ago. Um, I think the first time I ever saw it was uh, it was Andy Ritchie, wasn't it? Years ago. Again, this was days of Scott Sport back in the, the late 70s. Andy Ritchie of Morton, who was you know one of the most naturally gifted players of his of his generation uh, and and he would he would he was the first player i can remember who tried to score from corners uh because he could do it he, he was he was really a, a uh, really a brazilian who happened to be born in, in the west of scotland <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he was he was that sort of player and um I think Tom Hately's done it, hasn't he? More recently, Tom Hately at Motherwell. Yes, I think so, but I've not seen one where it's actually just went straight in. It's normally went in off somebody. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I in my very early television commentary days um, in the mid '80s, Aberdeen uh, under uh, Alec Ferguson, actually the last European game they ever played under his uh, management, that were in Switzerland against Sion. And um, the first goal they conceded in that second leg, that they lost on aggregate, like 4-2, uh, came direct from a corner. And Jim Layton it really had egg on his face. It was uh, uh, last act as Aberdeen goalkeeper, but it was towards the end of his Aberdeen career. And uh, so I have seen it, um, but uh, but not too often. Yeah, so do you think that he meant it, Mulgrew? <laughs> um, you'd have to think that Charlie Mulgrew is the sort of player uh, with that left foot of his uh, who would feel that he can put enough bend on the ball uh, that it could go in? So, uh, so why not? I mean, you know, maybe it's almost a halfway house uh, with a player like that or a player like Tom Hately because they know they can, uh, you know, put so much action on the ball that, that either it's it's heading towards the target or it's giving a teammate an opportunity to just, you know, flick it subtly uh, towards the target. So. Um, yeah. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, there was nobody I'm... on the back post, was there? So, aye. No, fair enough, yeah. Fair enough. I, I, I reckon he meant it because just before it, there was another corner that he put in around about the same kind of area. It ended up at the back post where F.A. Ambrose headed it back across goal. But I think that was the very next corner that he put straight in. So I think he's went for it. Well, he seems the type of guy to be cheeky enough to try that. I'm thinking back to the Scotland game where they had that well-worked free kick. Mm. Where he, where he came out he, away from the goal. So I, yeah. I will give him it. We'll give him it. Quite right. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think it's certainly a, a better thing than saying Marcus Fraser was at fault. I don't think he'd be too... No, it's not really. It's Michael Fraser, not Marcus Fraser. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to also touch just briefly on Kevin Thompson at Hibs. He obviously signed until the end of the season, but I was hearing that he's playing for free. Don't hear that very often from footballers, so well done. Yeah, that, that, that's great. I mean, I'm assuming he's looking to get his fitness back because obviously he's, he's had a bit of struggle the last few years with injuries and stuff. So, yeah, that'd be great if, I, if he can manage up. Yeah. He's obviously taking a leaf out of uh, David Beckham's book. He's, he's, he's decided clearly that if it's OK for, for Mr Beckham to, to play for free, then, uh, then you know, he'll go for it too. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure about that deal over <laughs> there, Derek, because yeah, I'm sure uh, David Beckham mentioned that the, the club give money to charity anyway. So uh, to me, it just looks like they've just put his name on it and uh, they're winners all round. No but, comment. Yeah, it's been a bit cynical there. <laughs> yeah. Right, I wanted to move on to the SFL. Unless you can think of anything else you wanted to discuss in the SPL. 
Well, the, no, the, no. The only, thing I, I was, only thing I was going to bring up, um, gents, uh, Aberdeen. Um, once again, a nil-nil draw at home. Lost count of the number of nil-nil draws they've had at home. Lost count of the number of times when uh, apparently they have outplayed the opposition and, and had absolutely nothing to show for their efforts. I mean, if they could have turned uh, four or five of those nil-nil draws into wins, then they'd probably be in second place at the moment. Um, but it, it is a familiar story, and, and I think... Uh, uh, one that Aberdeen supporters are, are are getting fed up, you know, hearing. And um, uh, unless Niall McGinn scores for them, you can't be too confident that anyone else is going to. Yes. And uh, I think Aberdeen, for me, are, are possibly the biggest disappointments in the SPL this season because I did think going into it that they would have a, a chance of finishing second. Wouldn't necessarily have predicted that they'd be second, but I thought certainly top four. Uh, with the signings they've made, but uh, just hasn't really happened. And this game uh, was almost their, their whole season at home in microcosm. Yeah, uh, Hayes, the signing of that, I was, I was really quite excited about that for Aberdeen. But yeah, the fans seem to be turning against Brun, so I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I find that a bit sad because, um, you know, I, I think Craig Brown has been such a wonderful servant uh, to Scottish football. And I will say, you know, that those of us in the media, he's he's been very generous over the years with his time. Uh, not every manager is like that. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's he's a genuine enthusiast. And, and, you know, you can't argue with his track record what he did for Scotland. Uh, you know, it, it looks especially good at the moment in the light of our, our current <laughs> predicament. Um, but, uh, you know, you do wonder if, if if this is, you know, maybe his last club job and uh, uh, if if a younger manager will be at the helm next season. You know, who knows if, uh, if the current Ross County manager uh, would be interested. Uh, I certainly would have to think that uh, he's high on the list of Aberdeen Football Club. Yeah, well, I'm sure he's a candidate for manager of the year, Derek Adams. Yeah, I would yeah. think so. I, I can't, it's kind of hard not to say that he, he wouldn't be. Uh, certainly, the the two Highland clubs have been a, an absolute revelation this season. With a, some of the third and fourth at the moment, and certainly within touching distance of one one second. I think it's uh, that's probably been as good for the league as Aberdeen being bad has been bad for the league. To be honest, yeah, uh, it's been a it's been a good SPL. I know that everyone misses Rangers. But, but yeah, it's been a good SPL for the, the middle of the table, I want to call it, but that's pretty much including second all the way down to second bottom. Yeah, no, I, I think you make a good point, Craig. I think that, um, yes, it, the dynamic is different without Rangers. But at the same time, you know, when I was up in Dingwall earlier this season, when I was in Inverness, you know, talking to, to fans there, uh, they feel for the first time, um, well, obviously, in Ross County's case, it's the first time they've ever been in the top flight. But, uh, uh, you know, the supporters of the other clubs feel as though they are no longer uh, cannon fodder uh, for Celtic and Rangers. That it's not just about, uh, you know, Celtic and Rangers playing against uh, Team X or Team Y, that they actually can contribute to the, uh, you know, to the tapestry of, of, of the SPL. And, uh you know, I think Ross County and Inverness have, have both been enterprising, both been very well managed, and it's no accident that they are where they are on the table. Yep. Yeah. Right, so moving on to the SFL, and I probably wanted to start at the bottom the SFL in the third division, and unfortunately I have to mention the Rangers game, which finished 2-1 to Annan, and they were fully deserving of that win. I thought that Rangers, I'm going to be kind to them and give them maybe a five, ten minute spell of dominance around about the time when Rangers scored. But other than that, it was Annan all the way. 
there was none of there was no time wasting that I've come to expect from some of the the third division clubs. I'm looking at Stirling Albion there, but there was none of that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they just came and they they just done the went about their business and outplayed Rangers in pretty much every way. The guy oh. who scored the second goal was brave because he got clattered in the face and he was he was on the deck for quite a bit while the, the fans were celebrating and he, he managed to get up and he looked very groggy but he still managed to get a fist in there to celebrate his goal. I hope you're going to apologise to Sterling Albion given what they did achieve this weekend. <laughs> oh, yes, well, yeah, I wanted to move on to that. Yeah, I'll move on quickly from the, the Rangers game. I could have talked about my soggy pie that I had. I was disappointed. I went for a steak pie. <laughs> and next week I'm going to take a fork because it was just, it fell apart. But yeah. you're, you're lucky you managed to get a steak pie. At one or two grounds recently, they've, they've banned steak pies from the menu and it's had to be a, a chicken pie or a macaroni pie. So, yes. so well well done on managing to guzzle that steak pie. <laughs> yeah, it was Pitodre, wasn't it? That was one it was, of the yeah. clubs. Aberdeen Ross County a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Right, so yeah, we'll move on to Stirling Albion. 9 1 against East Stirlingshire. Their best league performance, the best league scoreline anyway for Stirling Albion, although it's not their best scoreline ever because they beat a team 20 0 in the Selkirk. Scottish Cup. Selkirk in 1984. Yep. See, that's the kind of game I'd want to go to. I'd pay a tenner to go and see that. <laughs> I'm not sure the Elkirk fans would. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd leave early. It'd be like Ibrox, ten minutes before the end of time. <laughs> but yeah, I well done to Stirling Albion. It wasn't that long ago that they were bottom of the table and now they're only five points away from the playoff spot. And if they look back in this season with the performances that they've had against Rangers at Fourth Bank, they've had a, a brilliant season, especially if they can push on. Yeah, yeah I, I went to watch them um, oof, a few months ago now at Fourth Bank in a match against Montrose. They didn't have the best of days. That was actually right on the back of their uh, shock win over Rangers uh, when Brian Allison's goal represented the difference. Um, but I think that uh, they've got something about them, Sterling Albion, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare at Ibrox against Rangers uh, in what, a couple of weeks' time, just, just under a couple of weeks from now. We're, we're covering that game. And um, uh, you know, we wondered if that might be the title decider, but uh, it's looking as though that's been been pushed back a little while now. Um, but the one thing that I've noticed about the third division teams covering them all is that they all have a story to tell, uh, and they all seem to have one or two players in their ranks who you feel, you know, he could play at a higher level. You know, maybe if circumstances had been different, he could. You know, potentially be an SPL player or a first division player, um, and uh, you know Sterling Albion, uh, you know, have their own their own players in that category. Um, not sure that we saw the uh, the margin of the victory coming. Uh, you know, after East Stirlingshire had put in such a respectable effort at Ibrox the week before. Yes, yes, I'm ashamed to say that going into the third division here, I didn't have a lot of experience, and I did think that there was going to be a lot of I call them diddy teams, but. But yeah, I've been impressed with how they, they've come to Ibrox and performed. Really wanted just simply to play football. And that's really impressed me. And, well, the away performances is especially that they've put in uh, on the TV. And so it's it's just, it's, it's been a credit to the third division and Scottish football because, Chris, I don't know about you, but I did look down on the third division and just... <laughs> I honestly think this is maybe the, the, the story of the season. It's not how much Rangers haven't achieved, it's maybe how much the other third division teams have. And maybe we've just been underestimating them. I mean, I, even my own experience when I went up to uh, Arbroath 
in the, the Scottish Cup when Celtic were there. I thought Arbroath played really well. They, and, uh, yeah. they, they played well as a team and maybe they didn't have the, the overall individual skill that ultimately was the difference with Adam Matthews' goal, but they still played as a team. They still created their own chances and still were pretty close to the, <laughs> taking Celtic all the way. And I think it's all the more creditable when you think that most of these teams uh, play, or rather train twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, and in most cases, they have other jobs, say for the players who uh, you know, are on loan from bigger clubs and train with the parent clubs during the week. Uh, and then you, know, you, you watch them against Rangers. And yeah, I, I think the point Chris makes is absolutely right. Uh, a lot of these teams have overachieved and, and have you know, been, been quite uh, stunning, uh, you know, some of the performances. Uh, but I think it also is a demonstration of the fact that Rangers have underachieved uh, you know, there, there are a number of players in the Rangers squads, uh, you know, who, who are making significant money uh, and and are not worth it, you know, to be honest. And yeah. uh, I think, uh, you know, any Rangers fan who goes to see them, um, you know, in any game will, will back that up. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that really has jumped out at me is the fact that in every single Rangers match I've covered, there's been a spell, a significant spell of 10, 15, 20 minutes where the other team has managed to outplay Rangers. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, just at the weekend there, it was a lot longer than that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, one of the disappointments this season was really the SPL players that Rangers have signed. I was a big fan of Sandaza and Ian Black. I don't want to pick too much in the two of them, but they've come and they've just not lived up to that hype. They just, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they can't handle third division. I don't know if it's if it's too different for them or maybe they're still settling into a new club, a new style of football, I really don't know. But they've been the, the big disappointments, and it's the young kids. Mackay, for example, he's he's a standout player. I think he's going to go on to do really good things, uh, and I think McCoyce is really keeping his head screwed on because there's a, there's a lot of expectation from the fans when he comes on, but I just hope that he, he doesn't end up going down the route of Fleck, who I think suffered because the fans and the media all thought he was the next big thing. I think Ali McCoy, uh, you know, has come in for criticism, but I think he should be applauded for his use of Barry McKay. Uh, he's been quite judicious. He's not said uh, you're going to start every game. He's he's picked his spots with regard to McKay. Yep. Uh, Lewis McLeod, I think, too, has been a, a success story before the injury. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I'd have him on instead of Black every yeah, week. Yeah. I, I think he's played better, and I think his performances have been very consistent. So, uh, you know, I think that's the one plus point, if you're a Rangers supporter, the fact that these younger players uh, are getting a chance that uh, that they wouldn't have had, uh, you know, if Rangers were in the SPL at the moment. Yep. I think the one man who's probably going the, the opposite way, because obviously we're talking about the younger players are the ones that have impressed, the SPL players are the ones that haven't really done as well as they should. The one man who's defied that's probably Lee McCaw. Yes, oh, he's he's been superb. Uh, well, I I have to admit, I thought a couple of seasons ago, when Rangers were playing him in defence, I thought I thought his time's is gone. He he was really reinvigorated when he was played in the hole just in front of the defence, and he's really went on from there. And this season, he's well, he's a top top scorer. I think little might have overtaken him at the weekend there, but anyway, he scored over twenty goals. And he's really, when he's on the pitch, he makes a massive difference because he's really holding the team together. So i really pleased with Jig. And he played through an injury as well for quite a while. He had an ankle injury. And, well, he's come out the other side of that. So hopefully he pushes on. So I wanted to move on to the first division and talk about Morton, 
who are sitting at the top of the first division right now. Now, Partick Thistle have got two games in hand, so they could very well go above them. But we're getting to the point in the season where we're going to be looking at getting stadiums compliant for the SPL. And the deadline for that is the end of March. And Morton have to get their get plans in place to be compliant, and that includes getting undersoil heating as well as a certain seat criteria, which is 6,000, mm-hmm. I think. 6,000 yep. seat. Now, the, the thing about that is that this happens every year, so there's nothing too unusual about that. But then the, we've got the reconstruction vote taking place on the 15th of April. So Morton could go in and say, yeah, OK, we're going to get under soil heating and then reconstruction gets voted in. And reconstruction with that is going to bring a reduction, I think, of the 6,000 seats. But then the big thing is they're going to replace the rule of under soil heating with ad- adequate pitch protection, which includes pitch covers, which costs something like £10,000 in comparison to 700k maybe for under soil heating. I think it was Peterborough in England said £700,000. So what do you think? Do you think Morton should be pushing to get themselves compliant or should they just sit back and wait? Should they should they think of a, a plan to get round this rule? I think what they'll probably do is something along the lines of what Ross County did. But, I mean, what Ross County did with the Global Energy Stadium or Victoria Park, depending <laughs> on whether you're old school or not, is uh, they, they had their planning place for the end of March but didn't actually get anything put together until the close season because the plan basically said, we'll, have, we'll start it when we're finished the season, it'll be ready for the start of the season and the SPL will be fine with that. So I'd imagine what Morton will do is they'll have to plan something similar like that because I don't think there's too much. I think there's a couple hundred uh, seats needed and then obviously the, the, the changes to the pitch for the, the, the undersoil heating, if, if that was necessary. But I would imagine if the rules become uh, something else, like you're suggesting, it's just adequate pitch cover, then they'll have a plan B, effectively, for the, if they get promoted this season. Yeah, I hope so, and I hope it doesn't cost too much for them to, to submit these plans, knowing that potentially two weeks later they're up in the air because of this vote and reconstruction. Yeah, it would seem to be a bit of a contradiction, wouldn't it? Um, you know, I think, again, there's the fine line between you know, trying to uh, say, yes, we want to be SPL compliant uh, and, uh, you know, doing enough just to satisfy modern safety standards. Uh, and, and I do think as a spectator nowadays, you're entitled to expect, uh, you know, a certain level of service at a ground. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the Juventus Arena. It doesn't have to be Old Trafford. It doesn't have to be the Emirates Stadium. But there should be a degree of comfort. And I think all football clubs you know, should want that. Um, having said that, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in having standing areas. I just happen to think that the standing areas uh, ought to be modern standing areas. And, and yeah. you can create such areas uh, you know, with a little bit of thought, a little bit of planning. Uh, and and you know, I think it would be great if, if Capello were able to, to keep that. Uh, I know the SPL uh, you know, spoke more than a year ago now about uh, about piloting this this scheme, having safe standing areas. Hasn't seemed seemed to me to have gone very far. I think um, the clubs are put off. I heard a hundred pound per standing seat, if you want to call it that, which is a lot of money for a club. When spectators will be expecting a reduced ticket price for whatever reason they seem to think that standing is cheaper I think they look at the, the German model and, and take snippets of that and think right well that's the solution I'm going to get a £10 ticket if I stand so I think it's the financial aspects putting a lot of the clubs off yeah no and, and that's that's understandable in this economic climate but you'd like to think that somewhere 
uh, in the country, there's a club who, who might be a bit innovative and might think, uh, yeah, this actually works for, for our uh, fan base. This works for us. We, we would like to try uh, to have a better atmosphere inside a ground. It can be controlled, but it can be fun at the same time. And uh, let's see if somebody wants to, to step forward and do that. If you look at something like Celtic Park and the Green Brigade, they would love to be officially a stand-in section. Yeah, so, yeah and, and, and it's the same at a number of different grounds. I've just always felt that if you are uh, doing what they're doing at, at Capolo or potentially doing at Capolo, um, it's not that difficult if you're refurbishing a stadium to say, you know, let's have a standing area. I would accept that in an already built stadium with stands that are fairly new, it might present more problems. But if you have to remodel anyway, uh, I'm not quite sure why there would be an added cost. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. Uh, well, this is all assuming that Morton are going to go up because, yeah, Partick right. are pretty close. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we shouldn't forget about Partick Thistle. And I have to say, either way, I'd be delighted. Uh, you know, these are two of the... Uh, as, as I would say, two, two of the more traditional teams in Scottish football, and uh, certainly in my youth, they were they were top flight sides, and uh, uh, you know, quite enjoyed going to to Firhill and to to Capolo. So, uh, so let's have one of those grounds in the top flight next season. Yeah, it would be good freshen things up. Anyway, the the usual suspects, Dunfermline, Falkirk, and well Hamilton in the last few years. Anyway, aren't they're falling away now? Dunfermline particularly so they drew three apiece with Airdrie United which is a bit surprising well surprising but then maybe the, the money worries are getting to the players so want to move on and we'll discuss the charity bet last week we'd done very poorly we chose Cooney South who beat Air United 2-0 which was good we chose Inverness who drew one each with Dundee and Hibs in the Edinburgh Derby, which ended 0-0. So that was a pretty rubbish performance. As usual, I blame you, Chris. Hey, I got it right this week. <laughs> Did I choose Hibs? Uh, no, I think Greg chose Hibs. Uh, yeah. He chose Inverness, and uh, I chose Queen of the South because I was playing it safe. <laughs> see, I picked that before Dundee played St Mirren, so I didn't know that they were, that they were trying to escape relegation. Right, well, I go first then. Yeah, go for it. Right, I'm going to choose Queen of the South in the second division. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> they're, they're one to two, that's rubbish odds, I know. I know, but I like to keep things simple, and I like Queen of the South. So, yeah, one to two, Queen of the South. What are you thinking, Chris? I'm thinking you might have to put it on early, because I fancy Motherwell on Friday night at home at Hibernian. All right, five to six is good odds for a home game. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Right, okay, we'll add that in. Right, Derek, what are you thinking? I'm going to go to the second division, like you, and um, this this is one that maybe doesn't jump out at you immediately, but uh, I don't know what the odds would be, but um, I'm going to take four for Athletic to beat Stenhouse Muir. Dick Campbell's men, who have a very good home record, Stenhouse Muir, who, who tend to struggle on their travels, but I think are only three points behind um, four for. Um, so that would be my one. Yep, but well, you're getting right. evens on that. Okay. So that's going to boost us up a bit. So the £10 bet, courtesy of McBookie, returns £55 if it comes in. So that's pretty decent. Nice. Yep. So hopefully that comes in. Right, before we do the SPL predictions that I mentioned, we've got the League Cup final coming up 
and there was a bit of controversy about tickets, ticket allocations, and St Mirren had some of their allocation taken away from them from the family section and moved to a dearer section, which seemed bizarre to me. I was listening on the way to football on Saturday, and now a, a child's ticket could cost £30, which I just don't understand where they're coming from, especially when Hearts hadn't sold their full allocation and they gave them the tickets to them. Seemed a bit bizarre to me anyway. And St Myrna weren't happy about it. Have you seen what St Myrna are doing? No, I haven't. Money. They've been offering uh, money off tickets and ASPL games. I think they're actually offering money off the, the, the upcoming Celtic game, from what I remember. So you buy a ticket for the final and you get money yeah, off? Yeah, if, if you get forced to buy one of the, the more expensive tickets, what they're talking about is um, taking money off elsewhere. I'm just trying to find the, the press release at the moment. But it's, it's, it's a really good uh, statement from St Martin and it's, it's good to see that they're helping their fans out here. Um, what they said was, considering all parties felt this would be the family final, we are being left with no further child tickets. Therefore, anyone buying a ticket in this section for a child should retain the ticket and we will give them a free child ticket for the SPL match with Celtic on 31st of March. Those buying adult tickets in this section will also get an adult ticket for the Celtic match for £10 to make up the extra cost. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Aye. I don't hear of that very often. Aye, that's a brilliant gesture. I was hearing that Houston might be in place for Harps. Which would be yeah, he seems to be the favourite to get the job all of a sudden, which is, which is a very strange decision. <laughs> That'd be an alright first game if you if he came in and then won the cup. <laughs> I, I, I almost feel for... Uh, oh, his name escapes me. Mc Who's Winner. in charge at the moment? Gary Lock. Lock. Gary Lock, yeah. Oh, I kind of feel for him because he's been he's been running the team the last couple of games, and to be fair, he's got some decent results in the last two games. He's going to Easter Road and getting a draw is is a fairly decent result given the recent form, and then obviously beating St Johnson through the week. So it, it he almost been, he almost feels like he deserves a crack at this League yeah, Cup final. Yeah, it, well, I think it would almost be the right thing, and it probably wouldn't happen, but it would almost be the right thing if a, a new manager were to be appointed. Let's say that's Peter Houston. Um, for him to say, OK, I am the new manager, but I've not worked with the team for any length of time. Gary Locke has. So I'm going to sit back. I'm, I'm going to watch. I'm going to observe. But Gary Locke's going to pick the team and he's going to be the manager. Um, Harry Redknapp's actually been very, uh, south of the border, you know, been very magnanimous that way. Uh, when he's been appointed manager of, of clubs recently, thinking in terms of Spurs and QPR, for the first game, he sat aside let the others, let the caretakers do their jobs, watched, uh, listened, learned, and, and kicked on from there. So, uh, you know, I think it's asking a lot of, of a manager to um, to immediately, and I've got great respect for Peter Houston, but of a manager to go straight in and uh, and take charge of the team in a cup final. Yeah, but Bomber Brown did that for his first game in charge. He sat in the, the stand as well. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to liken Bomber Brown to Harry Redknapp there. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I find it interesting that, that Houston's wanting to go to Hearts, especially after his comments about Dundee United, how they were going to continue downsizing and he didn't think he could live up to his previous expectations based on that. And he's going to go to a club like Hearts who are in severe financial difficulties and, well, they, they keep flirting with administration. I'm not sure if that is just paper rumours or not, but I, it, I did find it strange, a strange move. Uh if it happens. Think, yeah, if it happens, yeah. I and mean, we don't know that, that it's going to happen. I think a couple of factors here. One, hearts are, are in Peter Houston's blood. 
uh, you know, he, he worked there for, for many years and, uh, you know, still has connections there. And, uh, you know, it, it is still one of the biggest jobs in Scottish football. I know that Hearts uh, are at a difficult stage in, in, in their history. Um, but, uh, you know, you could still see why a prominent football manager in Scotland is. Um, I get the feeling that Peter Houston was in the category of Scottish manager who felt that he probably had something to contribute south of the border. Um, and uh, I think it would be fair to say at the moment that the stock of Scottish football managers uh, here in England, I'm talking to you from London where I live, uh, is not as high as it was, um, you know, a, a few years ago. I think it's there's a, there's a, there's a differentiation between the Fergies and the, the, the Davy Moyes and people like that at the very highest level, and then managers working in the championship and in League One. You know, Derek McInnes, for example, went down to Bristol City, started off well. Uh, it didn't end well for him. And I think at the moment there are maybe just one or two doubts, um, seeds of doubts planted in the minds of, of championship and League One chairman as to whether they want to take a punt on a Scottish manager. So my guess is that, that Peter Houston maybe has assessed the scene there, maybe has, has thought to himself, you know, the, the, the next best move for me uh, is in Scotland. And if you're going to stay in Scotland, then the Hearts job is always going to hold appeal. I think from a, the Hearts perspective as well, it's maybe a good appointment because you'll be looking at someone that can that work within the budgets that are set and can get the best out of the players and maybe even someone that's got experience of having some of the better players leaving while he's been there. And certainly all of that occurred when uh, Peter Houston was at Dundee United. So maybe from that perspective, that's what Hearts have looked at and thought he's the best man for the job. He's got a brilliant record with youth at Dundee United as yeah. boss and as second in command. And that's yeah. where Hearts are having to go. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I rate Peter Houston very highly. I, I think he's somebody who uh, we, I think Hearts will be very lucky to get him if it does work out that way. Um, and uh, as I said, you know, I'm not sure about going straight into in at the deep end and, and uh, taking charge of the team in a, in a League Cup final. Um, but you never know, St Mirren are, are not playing particularly well at the moment. I think what just one victory in seven. Um, so it, it's really, I wouldn't really want to be... Uh, Making a prediction in that, in that League Cup final, I think it's it's anyone's guess. Could go either way, as it's, they say. It's almost as if you knew I was going to ask you for a prediction, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Having just said I, I didn't want to predict it, here we go. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to go for a prediction. I go think on. Hearts are going to win this because I think every time I've seen Ngu, I think he's a, a class apart. I think he's I think he's going to break into the Liverpool team when he returns next season. He's just such an exciting player. He seems to have no fear when it comes to shots. Really impressed with him. I'm going to go 2-1 to Hearts. Chris, what are you thinking? Um, I think I'm going to have to go with that as well. Similar. I think maybe not 2-1, maybe 1-0 to Hearts. But uh, I have a good friend who's a St Mirren fan and he was uh, at the, the League Cup final in 2009 when they, they lost the Rangers. Sorry, they lost the nine men Rangers yep. at that. And he thinks he's a jinx and he's going again on Sunday. So <laughs> he's not too confident. And then when I told him that Craig Thompson was a referee, he became even less confident because he's convinced he's a Hearts fan. <laughs> I thought he was a Rangers fan. <laughs> well, to be honest, I, 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 won't, I won't question him. But uh, I have made the, the, the suggestion that maybe Craig Thompson's a Hearts fan myself. And in fact, I even know a Hearts fan who's made that suggestion. And no, it's not Laurie. <laughs> 
But yeah, I think I'm going to have to go with Hearts to be one now. Was, was Craig Thompson not born in Paisley? I think yes, that that's that was the amusing thing. Is the, the the Hearts fan I know suggested that it was a Hearts fan from Paisley, so probably the best selection for this <laughs> final. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'll go. I'll go for the buddies then. Just uh, you know, not because I necessarily think that. Um, I can I can make a case for for one team over the other, but uh, I think it'll be very tight. Um, maybe maybe penalty kicks um, and St Mirren to to prevail. How about that? Right, you've been very specific, Derek. Right. <laughs> penalty kicks because I write this down in my wee black book. It'll be, oh well, well, the pressure is on now. Yep. See, I think if it goes to penalties, it'll be Hearts that win it because they've already managed to progress through the last two rounds on penalties after being down to ten men, which is almost sort of. It's almost like their names on the trophy in that kind of form, and they, they had a similar kind of thing with the Scottish Cup final last season as well. They just they kept getting through the rounds despite maybe a penalty that they, again it was full enough against St Mirren that uh, St Mirren saved despite the fact they put the ball in the net and then they, they'd been brought back to take the penalty and the, the penalty was saved and Hearts went on to win the game. There was just wee things like that in the Scottish Cup run, and there just seems to be wee things like that in the League Cup run as well. So I think maybe it's going to be Hearts Day. That game's on at three three o'clock on BBC One on Console Telly. Right, well, so we'll go into the SPL predictions and we'll start off on the, the Friday night game, quarter to eight. Derek, you'll be there. Motherwell against Hibs. Did you choose Motherwell earlier, Chris? In the I charity? did, yes. Oh, I don't yep. like to go against that. Right, so I'm going to go for a Motherwell victory, 2-1. Yep, same with Okay, so I'm, I'll go right between the two of you and say I think this will be a draw with a few goals, maybe 2-2. Uh, we were very entertained last time we were at Fair Park for that fixture, which was also on a Friday night. And uh, I think it uh, was a Friday night the season before, uh, only for the uh, the floodlights to uh, to pack in at an inopportune time and, uh, and the game had to, to be abandoned. But uh, uh, I think this will be a good Friday night fixture. Big fan of Friday night football myself, I have to say. And... Uh, uh, I think it'll be um, it'll be open and uh, as I said, two apiece. I think Friday night football is good, and I think it is good for the the TV channels because they're not up against anything else really. Uh, Friday night is a bit of a gap because well, if you're looking at the Sundays, you, you've got the Super Sundays on Sky Sports, and a lot of people would view the English football ahead of Scottish football, unfortunately. But yeah, the Friday night's a bit of a gap in the market and also a gap in the market for the fans. I think it's perfect for a night out, for example. Go to the football and then go to the pub with a few of your mates, turn it into maybe get some more casual fans going. And I don't mean football casuals, I mean <laughs> fans who don't normally go to the football because they see it maybe, all right, we'll go there and then go on a night out. So yeah, I think I, it's good. I've always thought that it's win-win for fans and uh, television companies and Armchair fans, you know, we always hear people saying, well, uh, you know, the, the football's catering to, to the armchair fans and not to the fans who go to the games. I think that with uh, with a bit of um, careful planning in terms of the fixtures, um, I think that, you know, Motherwell Hibs to me is is, is a classic example of a, of a game that, that could go ahead on a Friday night. Uh, Hibs fans can get to Fair Park if they want to um, in, in time for the game. Um, the work week is finished. There's an opportunity to relax a little bit and enjoy the football. And, and if you make it, I'm a big, big believer that if you make Friday night football available every single week, in other words, in other words if people know that it's on the television every week, same time on Fridays, 
then I, I think it will develop a bit of a following. I think maybe one of the difficulties at the moment is that uh, fans don't necessarily know when the games are going to be televised, although uh, Saturday lunchtimes uh, have been quite quite common. Sunday lunchtime is not quite as common. Uh, but I think if you had one game every Friday and teams take it in turns, then you might be onto a winner. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I must admit, I'm looking forward to the, the the Friday night game the following week when Scotland are hosting Wales. Yeah, that should be a good one as well. I quite like the, the international games being on Friday. So, I, I, as a, a Celtic fan, I haven't really experienced it at club level, but certainly the the international level seems to work quite well. Are you well, going, Chris? Yeah, just, I, I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just 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 on the Friday night with regard to Celtic, um, a lot of people have said, well, the police will never allow. Celtic to play on a Friday. I think that's something that we need to work on a little bit because we're always hearing that, uh, and Neil Lennon's been quite vocal about this, we're hearing that the authorities and the TV companies are, are, are not always fair to Celtic in terms of when they schedule SPL matches. Uh, wouldn't it be something that Celtic would be interested in if they were in the Champions League on a Tuesday? Wouldn't they rather play on the Friday rather than the Saturday before yeah. an important Champions League game? So I think that, that, that there could be a bit of give and take on that. Yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't, wouldn't be allowed it, but it's not as if we don't see Celtic playing and say a Wednesday night. I mean, when it comes to people still work on a Friday, even if they get away from work early, most people work until about five o'clock, half past five at night. You're yeah. talking a couple of hours in the pub at best. Yeah, I, I will, I will, te I I will tell you that, that it often comes down to a police decision, that yeah. uh, depending on where the game is, they, the, the police in that particular jurisdiction will often say, no, we, we don't feel that we can, in good faith, sanction a game at this time. I, I personally think we need to try to move away from that because football is entertainment. It's it's like going to the theatre. It's, it's it's like doing anything that uh, that is a leisure activity, should be. And uh, and I think that in the old days, it used to be that, uh, that, that men often worked until lunchtime on a Saturday and then went to the football. Well, those days are over, you know, and uh, I think we have to look at Friday night football. Yeah, I, I can see where the police are coming from by the time, because they're going to be stretched. I, I don't see that there's going to be an issue with the, the football fans, per se, getting drunk, like, because it's a Friday. Because you see people, uh, when it was old firms, on the way to an old firm game, I'd see bottles of Buckfast empty and so on. And not, not mine, Chris, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I don't drink Buckfast, it's the tenants. But yeah, they get drunk for a 12 o'clock midday kickoff. So yeah, I don't think it's going yeah. to be the football fans, but I guess city centres on a Friday night are busy and the police are stretched. Yeah, but it's a shame that it has to be that way. I, I think when when it comes to getting drunk, people will get find a way to get drunk regardless of the kickoff time if they want to do it. The o it only becomes a real issue if they're allowed to drink for hours and hours on end. And I think we saw that in Boxing Night when uh, Celtic visited Dundee because both sets of fans were very merry that night. Yeah, yeah. There was a, an old firm as well, but it was pretty bad. It was a, it was a Wednesday night game? Was that when Rangers had maybe three players sent off? What a car. Yeah, but to be Guerra. honest, I think most of the trouble came on the park and there wasn't so yeah. much off the park. Yeah. Anyway, right, moving on to Saturday and we've got Celtic against Aberdeen. And, well, reading what Lennon had to say, I think there's going to be some big changes in the Celtic team. He's not too happy. He's talking about dropping people and, oh, I don't know what's going to happen here, but I still don't think Aberdeen will have enough uh, because they just don't seem to be scoring. So I'm going to go 1-0 Celtic. I'm going to go with 3-1 Celtic because I think I will probably find some way to score. <laughs> but I think the changes are probably enough for Celtic. Though. Yeah, I would expect Celtic to bounce back um, after that uh, abject performance against Ross County. 2-0 to Celtic. Right. 
Then we've got Inverness against Ross County. And I'm not sure what to expect in this game because I, I keep thinking back to the cup and thinking how exciting that was with all those goals. But then recently we've seen a lack of goals. Oh, I'm going to go on an away win. Um, I think the the balance is tipped in Ross County's favour. I'm going to go on away win. I'm going to go 3-1 to Ross County. Ooh, I think Ross County are in form, but I think uh, Inverness are probably in decent form as well. They're both pushing for that runners-up spot, I think. Uh, maybe cancel each other out, one each. Uh, Inverness for me to win this. I know that uh, you would think that Ross County would uh, have the, the wind at their, their back at the moment, but I think this is going to go the other way, and I think that uh, Callie Thistle will win as they did in the, the home game earlier this season, the, the first SPL Highland derby. 3-1 uh, to Inverness. As long as Terry Butcher isn't punching any more dugouts. <laughs> i only seen a still image of that. Was that in the highlights? Because I'd never seen it. I've never seen any actual footage of him punching it, but you see the mess that the dugout was yeah, in afterwards. He's yeah. <laughs> got some temper on him. Well, he was he was pushing Derek Adams the other week, wasn't he? Although Derek Adams, uh, I respected him when he came out after the game and said, like, look, there's no problem between us. It just These things happen, basically, during a game of football. That's how it should be. Terry Butcher is a very passionate man. We all know that from, oh, for goodness sake, the, the, the 1986 World Cup, let's face it. Um, but, yeah, the, the Terry Butcher, the player, has become Terry Butcher, a manager, and the passion's still there. So. Yeah, aye. <laughs> as long as he's saving the, the punching for the dugout and not anything worse. Although, <laughs> Kenny Shields got sent off, didn't he, when he kicked, or I say kicked, but he, his foot touched the advertising board. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then he stood on the railing. <laughs> I think that looked more dangerous than kicking the, the, the advertising board. Did. <laughs> yeah, that is. Aye. Right, then we've got on Sunday a, an early start for you, Derek, the Dundee Derby. Yeah, um, you know, I think that uh, as a neutral, you go into these derbies hoping that we're going to have a very competitive fixture. Uh, I think Dundee will be up for it, um, but uh, wor- worry about their quality in comparison with United. And, and I do think at Tannadice, uh, United will win probably with a fair amount of ease. Um, 2 0 to the Tangerines. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a must win at this stage for Dundee if they, they want any hope of staying up, but I, I don't think they will. I think I think I agree with you, Dundee United. I've got too much quality and that will shine through. I think Rab Douglas has been a star for Dundee this season. I think he's, yep. he's one of the reasons that they, they've kept the score lines down. Uh, I'm going to go for Dundee United, and yeah, I'll go 2 0 as well. Yeah, I, th- I think John Brown certainly instilled a lot of fight into the team, but this might just be the wrong side of the road for them, I think. So I think I'll have to maybe say, yeah, I'll go a bit closer than you guys and say 2 1 to Dundee United. Right, okay, that's us done for the, the predictions. And I wanted to mention a bit of sad news that, that happened today was Tony Gubber passed away. At the age of 69, I think he is. I think he was. Yeah. Uh, yep. Some people might not recognise his name, but you definitely recognise his voice. He, he done uh, commentating on the Olympics between 74 and 2006. And he was on FIFA, which I definitely remember that. Yep, and I remember also, that one by myself. <laughs> I also remember he was on uh, ISS for the N64. Yes. Yes, it was. And more recently, Dancing on Ice. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I, I remember Tony Gubba uh, as a young aspiring broadcaster in the 70s. And uh, he would he would not be at that time, would not have been the, the number one commentator at the BBC. He was he was third to, to uh, Barry Davis and John Motson or John Motson and Barry Davis. But he was always the consummate professional. And uh, I did get to shake his hand and, and meet him while I was a young reporter for the BBC in 1986 at the Commonwealth Games, uh, when he spent the entire time um, on on the weightlifting, commentating on the weightlifting from a little cabin um, at the venue there in Edinburgh. And uh, and he did that every day and uh, got on with the job and, and he would tackle any sport. That's the one thing I remember about Tony Gubba. Uh, a lot of people will remember him for football, but he was happy to, to do whatever sport uh, would come his way. And uh, uh, it's very sad to be reflecting on his passing at the age of 69. Yeah. Yep. So is it... Is it something you've ever done, Derek, uh, commentated on anything other than football? Oh, I've done a few different sports as well. Um, golf in the early days uh, when I was a, a reporter at the BBC. Um, and then uh, in the uh, Shinty as well. Shinty too was uh, was one of the sports that I would turn my hand to in the uh, in the summer months, Kamenach Cup final. Uh, and then when I was in the States, funnily enough, I, I got the strangest um, gig ever that, that came my way, uh, which was to commentate on Scottish Highland Games um, for an American audience uh, at American venues. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so that was one that, uh, uh, well, of course, they thought I was very well qualified for it. And to be fair, as, as a youngster in Aberdeenshire, I, I did my, my rounds of, uh, of the different island games, uh, you know, going along uh, D-Sideway, Ballater, Braemar, Aboyne, all these places. Uh, but never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd be commentating on the uh, uh, tossing the caber at... Uh, at North Carolina Highland Games. <laughs> right, so now I know who to speak to about Tossie Caber if I need a refresh <laughs> on the rules. <laughs> right, well, if, if you don't have anything else you want to discuss, I think that's got to the end of the podcast. Yeah, I think that's us. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Derek. It's been good. You've been very knowledgeable, very interesting. My pleasure. Uh, enjoyed it very much, lads, and uh, I hope we get the chance to do it again sometime. Yeah, that'd be good. And thanks also, Chris, for coming on once again, doing your SPL review. I do like that section. Uh, that's when you get to put your feet up. That's why you enjoy it so much. That's it. I, Derek, I didn't tell you that, but, but during that section, you can go away and just maybe watch a, maybe five minutes of TV and so on while Chris does his review. That's what I did. <laughs> Make a cup of tea and so on. I. Cheers. Right, cheers, guys. Eh? Right. Right, cheers. Bye.